Seba, and I'm sorry I'm a little bit late this week. I'm talking to my Patreon folks more than anybody because sometimes I don't release anything out into the wild anymore and just give it to them. <laughs> Anyhow, I'm here. I'm a little worn out. Last night I stayed up incredibly late and not for all the fun reasons. One of my kitty cats got out of the house and he's gotten out before and gotten really, really hurt. We thought by a coyote, maybe. And it took forever to get him to be able to walk and live. And his vet has warned me he is not allowed back outside out in the country. But over the years, he's gotten very spry and he's figured out ways to do so. And he did so last night. And, uh, since I temporarily live alone, I am looking to get a roommate, but right now I live fairly alone, and I didn't have any help getting him back, and it was super late, and there's something a lot of y'all don't know about me, something that I think even my closest family members do forget from time to time, and that is I'm going blind, and I mean I'm actually losing my eyesight which is making it incredibly difficult <laughs> out here alone. But he's a primarily black kitty, and it's dark as hell out here, y'all. It's far away from all of the street lights and all of that of town, and even with a flashlight, it was impossible. I'd locate him and then try to get him, and he'd run, and no, <laughs> no. It got late, and I was tired, and I really hated I had to leave him out there, but I did. So one of the things I've gotten really good at out here by myself is setting those live traps that they have over at Tractor Supply. And, um, I mean, I had to get good at that real quick. I lost a bunny rabbit about a month ago, and I caught her. I was so proud of myself. And then... When this happened, I thought, well, all right, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to set a live trap for this cat. <laughs> and I sat back in the back of that thing. Oh, my goodness. I put in wet dog food and kitty cat food and salmon treats. And that thing was loaded. And then I put a blanket over the top of it. And that's one of the big tricks to make sure they don't realize what it is. And I went on to bed. And somewhere in the middle of the night, the dog started hollering and going on. And I thought, oh, I've caught him. I've caught Waylon. And I went out there. And Waylon was having him a really good old time popping the hell out of that cage. And the problem was he was on top of it. And he was torturing something inside of it. So, y'all, I know you probably already know where I'm going. I caught the cutest possum you ever want to see. She was either pregnant or just had babies and um, scared for her life. Terrified. 
But because it was late at night, I just didn't think it was a good idea for me to try to extricate her from her little prison in the dark. I mean, after all, she was scared and uh, she has teeth. So I waited till this morning. I brought Waylon on in and this morning we went around and around for about another hour trying to get her out. We being the royal we and um, finally had to poke her out from behind. She was just shivering and terrified and had her little paw claws hanging on to the sides and her eyes were wild. Bless her heart. I've never seen that much fear in an animal. I hope I never see it again. It about broke my heart. But she finally did run. And when she ran, oh my Lord. (laughs) She kicked out some dust. But it did get me to thinking about things a little bit. There's something about fear. I know that we need it. I know it is a survival kind of thing. I know it can get us out of trouble. And assure us that we don't get you know, killed. I know that it's an important evolutionary feeling to have an instinct, really. But I fear, see what I did there, that at least I have gotten paralyzed by it too often. And the fear is never really of impending truth. It's always just of, I guess, the unknown, you know. Now, I have no fear watching a horror movie. I have no fear walking into the woods at night. I should. I don't. Um, I'm not even afraid of living out here by my damn self. And maybe I should be a little bit afraid of that, too. I mean, especially when folks like um, the people who deliver my stuff to the house are starting to figure out how alone I am. And most of them are men. Might want to be a little bit concerned about that. But I remember being single before. And I remember how to kind of navigate those waters. That fear. Well, that's a healthy one if I allow myself to feel it. As long as I didn't stay up all night. Y'all, I just have to stop right here. I turned around and I looked out my podcast window. And I used to have a setup that was right under it. And in the winter, I could see the moon. and. I don't really like the way I've got it set up now. I really don't. I've got this huge situation that someone gave me, and it's it, it's holding all my files, and it it it's really necessary to have such a technological setup. But what I'm missing so much, I need to get me a really long arm of the law so I can get this microphone and pull it way over there <laughs> and get a cute chair. But, y'all, the moon... Oh, my God. This is the one I used to look at when I would podcast back in the day. Anyhow, I'll take a photo and put it up. Hold up. Let me go do it. All right, y'all. I took it. Anyway, I saw this possum go through two kinds of fear last night and today. And the first kind of fear, I think, was valid. I really do. That first fear was, you know, I'm going to die. I'm going to die, and this person is huge, and they've done caught me in a cage. And I've heard some horror stories out here in the country about what some horrible rednecks have done. It'll, It'll make you sick. And some of those rednecks have money. Believe me, 
Money does not make you a good person, y'all. Anyhow, it was a very valid fare. The situation was life-threatening, and there was no way around it. And, I mean, I could have talked to that possum all damn day and not talked her out of being scared. But once I set her down out there next to the woods and propped open the door so that there was no way it could fall back down and walked well away from her, I got my little binoculars out and I was watching her. And I was far, far away and uh, hiding as well back on the porch. And I, she was turned around, craning, looking all around her. And she did that for maybe like 20 minutes. The door was wide open, y'all. And she was just traumatized, you know, and totally incapable of saving her ass. And it made me feel horrible. So finally, I got so worried about her. I couldn't let my dogs outside because if I did, they'd run over and kill her. So I finally got a broom. A witch telling you a story about a broom. And I got that broom and I kind of lightly poked her in her rump until she finally got scared enough of that that she ran into the woods. And boy, did she ever run. And that's when it hit me that I might be in a very similar situation. I got horribly hurt. I got horribly betrayed. When I got those things from someone I trusted and I loved, and I didn't believe they would ever do such a thing to me. And I tell y'all what, those were all valid feelings while it was going down. But I see the open door, and I see which way to go. And the fear, well, honey, it's just got me, it has had me locked up pretty bad looking around and oh my god terrified of what might happen next but I do believe the worst of it might be over and it's time I ran into the woods (laughs) because here's the thing the woods have never hurt me not one time Mm -mm. no it was something way closer to home that broke my heart And I don't want to extrapolate all that fear to this big, beautiful world and a life that I could have. Anyway, that was my little possum story from a witch out in the woods. And I feel like we can learn a lot by paying attention to what's going on out there. And all this to say that, well, it kind of goes with a lesson I gave on my porch last week to McCoven about contextualization. Well, to be particular, context. I had worked with my coven the week before, not the week before, two weeks before, on considering just playing with the idea of equations in witchcraft. Nothing to, you know, quantum physics, although I'd love to get into that with them. It's it's a lot of fun. (laughs) But just... Spell construction when we consider them as a mathematical equation, which I think sometimes can help quite a lot. The thing I have a doctorate in, for instance, is, well, it's philosophy and literature. And we've talked about this. And 
I'm always asking my students to look at, uh, for instance, a, a literary theorist and breaking them down more to their meat and bones in order that we can get that message more clearly. But when I'm teaching an undergraduate class that is just writing a composition essay, you know, they get stuck. And a lot of them really need outlines. They really do. It helps them to think it out. I don't think what I do is similar to outlines. But what I've asked them to do before when they don't do one, my students, I mean, is to take that essay you just wrote and then look at it paragraph by paragraph and ask yourself, what are the paragraphs trying to do? What are you trying to build? And if that paragraph is not doing that work, if it's not building to a conclusion, honey, then we need to restructure it. And it doesn't escape my attention that the craft could use a little bit of that same kind of, well, theoretical examination. And this is what we were talking about two weeks ago. Those equations, you know, what plus what or times what equals what and in what situations that could work and anyhow, you get the idea. Then the other night on Tuesday, I taught them something completely different, they thought, (laughs) but it had everything to do with the first lesson. And yes, honey, we are still talking about fucking possums. Just wait. I introduced them to the concept of, well, context, which has the Latin prefix of con, which means with text. So if you were going to contextualize something, say a quote, from somebody, you would try to situate it within the text with a broader understanding of its greater meaning, while also considering everything surrounding it, so that it builds and makes sense within the structure of, well, your essay, if you will. And I get this is kind of vague, and that would be because there are some protected stuff in Coven, as you well know. So we started talking about context, and I explained to them, now, if we put these equations that y'all built a couple of weeks ago into context with your environment and your situation, how could that affect or impact your, your spell, your outcome? And because I had a very important phone call I was going to take that night that was going to give me some context, (laughs) Lord, did it ever, um... Well, I didn't do the lesson very long. I did it long enough for him to get what I was talking about. Now, one of the things that I brought up with him is, so you've got this spell and you've got it all worked out and it's requiring you use, I don't know, whiskey maybe or mycelium of some sort. And yes, I am that earthy in my (laughs) spell constructions or a certain kind of herb. Or really, here's one, salt. And then you walk out on a land that, well, has had its own land spirits and its own guardians. Wildlife, it protects and considers sacred. Often, especially where we live, Native American history and ramifications. Can that in any way impact your spell? But worse to me, because I'm always thinking this away, 
Can your spell impact all that? Do you see where we're going? Well, context comes closer to being everything that intent does as far as I'm concerned. And uh, it does matter. It matters how I talk to you. If I were to preach at you and say there's only one way and I were to use a certain kind of tone in my voice, it would change the entire impact of what I'm trying to get done. I mean, you can look at a little kid and say, you better quit that right now. Or you can look at a little kid and say, you better quit that right now. And that kid is going to get that context and I'm telling you, it's going to change the way things come out. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've told somebody not to get mad or angry. I had a student do this one time a long time ago at their fire. If they couldn't get their fire going and they got a little spark and they're like cussing their fire. I'm like, well, I tell you what, honey, we can go ahead and wrap this thing up right now. <laughs> because um your spell it, it it may hit but it's gonna hit in a way I don't want to be around for because you've just fucked the context so it does matter and spell construction for me which to me is manifestation of something and I, I sincerely suppose that we want that something if we're manifesting it contextualization of that up and against its environment, considering the impact it will have on it, and vice versa. Well, that you already knew this, right? Because the one thing I know witches are always concerned with is the moon. What phase are we in? Mm-hmm. Well, if you think that matters, I want you to imagine if you have a bad attitude, or if you just poured whiskey down on a sapling root that was desperately trying to grow. Or if you left something out there that could choke or hurt an animal. I mean, do you really think the land spirits are going to work with you? So, contextualization. It can change everything. And uh, when I was thinking about that possum this morning... I was telling her to run, but I kept her in a cage all night. And I was telling her to run, but I was standing over the cage. And I was telling her to run, but I'm a predator. And she was staying in the only safe place that she could think of to be in that moment. And uh, I think there's a lesson in there for me. Sometimes a witch in trauma will just stand still like a deer in the headlights and hope nothing happens. Yep. And sometimes it takes a, a broomstick at her butt to get her to get the hell out of there and run. I don't know, just some thoughts I had today. That the cage may be the scariest place of all. And the place outside of it, well, we'll find out, won't we? <laughs> We'll find out. I've been in a situation now for a long time, months and months, afraid to let go of my cage. I think I talked about it as a well last time, but it kind of works out the same way, doesn't it? Anyhow, let's talk about something else before I have to go. 
I still don't know if I'm going to have a farm this year and I do need to make my mind up and I need to make my mind up quickly. And I realize that time's getting short and that might be one of the things I'm going to run toward. But I also have to be fairly reasonable. Alone, there's not as much I can do. So I'm going to have to dedicate some time this weekend to thinking that out. And instead of growing food for me to eat, I might be switching up a gear. I've been thinking about switching up a gear. But I'll let that one sit for a little while. I've got a high tunnel that I won't be able to repair later. And I want to go ahead and get some use out of it. I'll let that sit for a little bit in my head, this other idea I have. But I am going to have to make a decision. I was outside today, y'all, and all the peach trees are about to bloom. They always jump the damn gun. Haven't had peaches in two years because of it. The only tree I see out there holding on just a little bit is my pear tree. And I'm like, hold on, good God. We could still get cold one night. (laughs) But I've got a funny feeling. I really do. I've got a funny feeling about spring this year, and uh, I pay attention to the Farmer's Almanac, otherwise known as the Witch's Bible, (laughs) in my household, anyway. And I think we're looking pretty good, y'all. I think we can say goodbye to one of the roughest winters ever, fairly soon. But the one thing I noticed the quickest was my um, eastern redbud, and she is already aflame. And I wanted to remind y'all, y'all witches who love foraging, if you want to forage, honey bunny, go find you an eastern red bud. One that you don't think has accidentally been sprayed in any kind of way. And just before all those flowers pop, you want to get the buds. Grab those buds. The whole damn tree's edible. I don't feel like getting into it, but it is. But those buds are delightful. And they taste just like capers. Mm Mm-hmm. And you can pickle them. I did so. God. Oh, my goodness. I reckon it was about eight, nine, ten years ago now. I may do that. That may be how I bring on spring. But um, you can use them fresh. But they taste just like capers. And they're so pretty. They're pinkish purple. And imagine that. On a grilled piece of fish, wouldn't that be pretty? And butter. So, get out there and forage. Get out there and find your purslane when it pops up. We've talked about it before. And don't forget, chickweed is edible. Get out there. What are y'all doing? You need to get out there and forage. It'll bring on spring in your body. Connect you back to the wheel of the year. Connect you back to the sun and the growing time. It is such a time of possibility. So, a star is coming, and I tell y'all, if y'all pickle your redbud capers, that would be spectacular, wouldn't it? Oh, oh my God, on a focaccia bread? Ooh, child, do it. And I walked around my land today, I guess finally trying to accept that I'm going to live out here by myself. It has been a very hard acceptance. But anyway, I did that, and I, I went, okay, got to get to work. And I'm going to try to find somebody to help me do it all. And no matter how dark the winter has been for me, and no matter how overwhelming it all looks in this broken house, I would never abandon the land. I made an oath to it. 
I'm part of it now. And so I'm going to try to find a way to get excited about it. <laughs> and I'm going to try to find a roommate to help me with all of the work. And I'm going to try to remember what we all need to remember. That one day this all might end. I mean, it certainly will for us. But one day this all might end. And I go out there remembering 17 degrees and all the loss. I lost four rose bushes and two trees. And I get out there and I remember all that loss and all that hardship. I just suffered all by myself pretty much, except for my son, who laid down part of his life to make up for somebody's lack. And I think to myself, it ain't over, you know? Not as long as I'm paying attention and not as long as I get the hell out of this cage. It ain't over. So I don't know. If you're depressed... Go find you an eastern redwood. <laughs> and think about the context in which your witch body is trying to come back to life. Are you placing yourself? Are you situating yourself? Contextualizing yourself in an environment that will actually help to do that? Because if you're not, honey bunny, well, then you're like strawberries under a tarp, aren't you? I tell y'all what, it's my last story tonight, and I know I've rambled a lot, and I know this last four months has not been the content you're used to, and I promise you, I will not be like this forever. We all know people don't stay in trauma, but let me tell you a story about my grandma. She actually did lose the love of her life. Um, I mean, he was a noble man. He would have never just run off, you know, like these, I don't know if we should call them men. Not like folks do today. And uh, uh, he died. He died quite unexpectedly when she was in her 30s. And it, I guess, taught her really young that you don't have time to argue and you don't have time to fight. Well, not, not with somebody you claim to love anyhow. I mean, you do with politics and y'all keep that up. I don't know if y'all been paying attention to the news, but a fertilized egg over here these days could get me arrested. So, <laughs> I got about 22 in a bucket. I want to go throw it, though. Never mind. Um, so, anyhow, she knew what it meant to, to fight, and she didn't want to fight. Because I think they had been arguing right before he got sick, and it was about something dumb, something petty, something that didn't matter. Because when you love somebody, when you really love them... Well, none of that little shit ought to hold a candle to being together. It shouldn't. And she'd been arguing, like any number of us might do. And I don't even remember the story about what it was. I wish I could. I mean, I remember her other arguments. I remember her kicking over a Christmas tree <laughs> that he had set up. And uh, I, I wasn't there. <laughs> I wasn't born. But I did know the story. And he set it up, I think, rightly two, three times before he just let it lay there with the lights on. And that's how they celebrated Christmas. But this was something mundane. And then he got real sick one night and they took him up to Tennessee where they had a better hospital, a VA hospital. And, you know, the space between the time where they found out he was sick and the time that he was just gone was incomprehensibly tiny. 
I reckon some of us learn in that space how much we really don't need to be messing around with petty shit. Anyhow, for the rest of her life, she missed him. And for the rest of her life, she would get depressed about it from time to time. And her favorite time of the year was spring. Or at least, that's what she told me. And um, she had irises and lilies outside of her house. And they would just like line up right there on the little walkway to come in. I've got a picture of me uh, standing there <laughs> smelling one. Anyhow, when it got too much for her, she would go and sit with them. She'd take her chair and sit and look at her flowers. And she was addicted to her front porch. She had a a real relationship with that porch. And I reckon it's because of everything she had planted, where she could just watch the willow trees dance and her flowers swaying in the wind. And her amaryllis that I still have, because you know, you can keep those alive forever. They just keep making more. And one spring... It was a little too cold, and she wrapped up in a blanket and had me come out there and sit with her. I was staying with her. I was in my teen years, and I came to stay with her, and we'd have to go sit out there. And she did not like cigarette smoke. She did not. But she knew the only way to get me out there on that damn porch at 17 was to go down to the gas station. I can't imagine how this hurt her because she had pride in her belief systems and her value systems. And she bought me a pack of Marlboro Red and I wouldn't come out and she kept on saying, wrapped up in a blanket, she kept on saying, come out here and sit with me. I was like, no, ew, boring, you know. And she held up that pack of Marlboro Reds and she said, go get you a glass of tea and come on out here. And that was her way of getting me out of the house. But it was also her way of, I reckon, facing a couple of fears and trying something new. But we stayed wrapped up on that porch, watching those little blooms that had just started to break, and it was too cold to be outside. Too cold for them to even try it. And she told me, this is how I want you to be. This is what I want you to remember right here. She used to say right cheer. That's the way she talked. It's what I want you to see right cheer. And I was like, what? And she said, no matter how cold it is, I want you to try to bloom. And so I'm a witch trying to come out of trauma. But Grandma, I'm trying to bloom. And I love you. And I love y'all. And hang in there with me. I told you it was going to be rough. Talk to you next week. Blessed be. Y'all have been listening to the Southern Fried Witch Podcast. Come back around next week for a little bit more magic from the deep south.